This is the DLR Cast, the essential podcast for fans of Diamond David Lee Roth. All right, heard you missed us. We're back. <laughs> that was the, a good one. I, I wasn't expecting that. We're the only biodegradable, all natural, artisanal, 100% all American podcast by and for fans of the Diamond One, Diamond David Lee Roth. This is the DLR Cast. I'm Steve, as always, with my good friend. The debonair one. It's been a while, Darren. Darren Paltowitz. What's happening, my friend? Well, you used a line for hot for a teacher. And there's something I did a couple weeks ago while celebrating my birthday. And you know how a lot of bars have those jukeboxes where you can choose the songs from your phone and nobody knows you chose them? Yes. It's been a while since I've been out without a jukebox. But yes, I am familiar. Touch Tunes is one company. AMI is another. Right. And I like to see how many times can I play hot for teacher before people notice in the bar. And then when I choose multiple bars, I do that in multiple bars along the course of the night. So I think it's a fun thing to do. And the answer is three. They notice uh, during the third time, usually. (laughs) <laughs> you reminded me, and I bet you know this, you reminded me of a bit by stand-up comic John Mulaney, where yep. when he was a kid, him and his buddy decided to see how how many times they could play What's New Pussycat by yeah. Tom Jones in a diner before the guy behind them said, God damn it! Yeah, <laughs> I, I lost I like it. To, I believe it was seven. <laughs> so I like to do that, and one of the jukeboxes at one of my favorite bars, which is called Shines, does have your filthy little mouth on it. And I did one time play No Big Tang. And it you can imagine how well that went over. <laughs> <laughs> that's a mighty that's a big lift, my friend. I mean, even even in a bar f- filled with drunken patrons, that could stop a clock. So Yeah. So I'm uh, in, instead of actually talking about all the Dave stuff that happened, I'm talking about Hoffer teacher. No, that's incorrect. So yeah, lots of Dave news when you least expect it, right? Absolutely, especially in the what two or three weeks or so since we were last here recording an episode of the DLR cast. And we've had some music drop. We've had two podcast episodes. The most recent one we'll touch on well, we'll touch on both of them. The most recent one, I gotta say, might be one of my faves and may have been the most interesting, but I got some 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 pet peeves and some bones to pick. And yes. I mean, I don't want this to turn into the the review of the every episode of the Ross show, but you know, it's what we got to go with. So I, I don't want to name who he is, but a person who's in a band that sold a couple of million records, he texted me when an episode came out and he doesn't listen to this podcast at all. It's just, he's become a buddy. And he texted me, Oh no, another episode. These are terrible. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, he he's into podcasts and he loves Van Halen. He loves Dave. But I thought we were the only people that were being negative on this, because when you look at those comments, every time he drops a new thing, it's all positive, which says either he's buying fake comments, which is not hard to do, or they're moderating the comments. Because I don't know who these hundreds to thousands of people are who are listening to these re-records and podcasts and going, that's perfect. That's per- stay the way you are. 
Well, I didn't get a chance to do it before this, but I have an excellent podcast database where I can pull up the number of monthly spins mm -hmm. on most pod mo monthly listens, as they call it, downloads, streams, whatever. Right. For most podcasts, if it's in there, and I have not purposely and somewhat accidentally have purposely, I was like, I don't know if let's see this. I don't want to be disappointed just yet. I'm I got enough to do as it is. And then I did absolutely did forget to look it up. I won't do it here while we're online, while we're recording here. But I'm real curious to see if there's any growth and to see, because this is the third iteration of the podcast. Right. And now we're back to the original theme song, which we love. Yes. But for the most part, the first, I always thought, I think it was the first version may have been the best where there was some video component with it. Yes. Um, and there was some there was more actual i guess each episode most of the episodes kind of had a theme and there was some of that in the second version but this third version kind of tries they might to keep a theme together or i should say one or two topics it goes in a lot of different confusing oh, yeah. places and like i texted you last week when we were listening to the previous so what i say i said something like i think i need to take a breath i need to catch my breath after this yeah, that comment. Uh, some of our listeners who feed me news when we do the mailbag stuff, like people like Darren McGuire, people will say things along the lines of, wow, I couldn't get through that in one listen. I needed to take a break. Again, you're not alone because it's so much happening. <laughs> and I will tell you, I don't hate it. I mean, I find bits of, out of it where I do laugh and yes. I and I and I listen. Bottom line is, I'm happy he's out there doing something again. He's out there. Basically, I'm happy he's out there again, right? Because it's yes. a bit of a mystery over when and what and who and how with just about everything he's doing. But in particular, these last two episodes have gotten real interesting. So I think it was episode seven from last week where the, what really stood out for me was it was it was a really big kind of congratulatory i don't want to say suck up but there was a big props to howard stern on that on that one yes. and i'm not saying it has anything to do with it but this came pretty quickly behind us wondering what's going on with david howard yeah and one of our listeners colin flynn who when i tell you that colin flynn knows a lot about van halen and david lee roth he's tipped me off to some amazing stuff but he's the one who sent us and i don't think we taped an episode since then he sent me a thing of howard talking about dave on the air in 2021 right now, the thing we had referred to i think was howard talking about dave from 2015 when he was yeah. talking about how he's going to get them on the air except dave but no this was the thing where howard was being nice about dave in 2021 and i really do think that there is a connection between us unearthing this and Dave, it's not an ego thing. It's just, what are the odds? Because Dave's first few episodes were a mix of Van Halen stories and how he felt about current events. And no one was talking about Howard Stern at that time. People, no. less people than ever are talking about Howard Stern. And I say that as a diehard Howard Stern fan through mm, 2008, somewhere around there. Right. No one's talking about Howard Stern. Well, I, depending on who, depending on who's the big interview get, right? I mean, I was kind of surprised to see uh, 
the Springsteen Howard Stern interview land on the video of it land on was it Netflix or HBO Max? I can't remember. What's that? HBO. Right, right, right. There was that, and but that was nine months ago or something like that. And this Kiss interview, nobody talked about because we've heard the Kiss story a trillion times. And I have to say, the Howard interview with Kiss was terrible. Did you watch this? I did watch it. I did watch it all. It's, it's Howard talking like a th- all of his therapy stuff on Gene telling him he's depressed and Gene's going, no, I'm happy. <laughs> I don't feel abandoned. I'm okay. I'm great. And then Paul's talking about his therapy problems. And, you know, I don't go to KISS for my therapy or life lessons personally. That's not what I want. I want to hear with KISS about them making the music and uh, cool things that happened and celebrities that they were around and things that inspired it and how they made great business deals. I don't want to hear about how Paul Stanley was feeling about his ear. Well... We, <laughs> I've long maintained Paul could have a second side career as a motivational speaker, but yeah. we digress. That's uh, we go down another sidebar there. So, so we talk about he, he brings up Stern saying Stern should be uh, not uh, elected, voted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. No, and the, I thought he said the the Radio Hall of Fame. Did he say he, Rock and Roll I Hall? I thought fame? he said Rock and Roll. I listened to it okay. a second time. That was episode seven. I, I think you're it. right. Um, and again, it was kind of all over the place. There was Van Halen stories in there. We heard Tom a lot. Um, again, it's I, I don't. It's tough to talk about a podcast where you don't remember it all. But there's so much coming at you, and I don't want to have to necessarily take notes during my podcast <laughs> listening. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I know what you mean, and it, it's a lot there. He had really nice things to say about Howard Stern, but I say if it didn't come from us, what would have prompted him to talk? about Howard Stern out of nowhere? Good question. I mean, maybe he was perusing Netflix, saw the Springsteen interview pop up. I mean, HBO saw the Springsteen interview pop up there. I'll tell you what, you know who he gives props to often, a lot. And when this gets into episode eight, and there's a bunch of, well, all right, well, I'm jumping all over the place. First off, he gives a lot of props to SiriusXM. He loves SiriusXM. So, and I totally get that because I've been a subscriber since about 2006. I'd sooner give up, uh, I'd sooner give up most uh, streaming channels before I give up SiriusXM. (laughs) Having said all that, so there's a couple things just segueing into, and if I forget which was on which episode, forgive me, but segueing into episode eight, the most recent one, it really stood out to me for a couple of reasons. Number one, he it was more music focused. It had more music in it than any other episode dropping simultaneously with his version of Ain't That Peculiar. Yeah. So the second which, I heard that. Again, an odd choice. Why another? Co- I'm glad it's a cover. I'm glad it's music. I but and I think that was recorded with this current band. No, no, uh, I verified that was not recorded with the current band. All right. Yeah, uh, and never heard of it. <laughs> I'll, pu- I'll put it to you that way. And it was. There is not Team Dave that is going over all this stuff and knowing what's going to come out when. Echoing the old John five interview that I did. No one knows what's coming or or what, but that's old. And I was able to figure out when most of the things that we heard in this episode were from. Well, I do know. And I was very surprised and man, I forgot that I liked this. And that was Jamie's crying from the strumming with the devil uh, album that came out. And I can't remember how many years ago. And I was that 
I did a double take. I think. Yeah, I did a double take. Listen to that. I'm like, just to make sure. I was like, I went back to that album. And went, okay, yeah, this is that version. This is that. And Someone from. I'm sorry to cut you off. Somebody from Van Halen News has said that's an alternate from the al album version. Okay, I I didn't listen to it that closely, but I was my first thought was was this on strumming with the devil so anyway the track yeah. is on strumming with the devil good to know this is an alternate version i guess yeah so the the songs that he played on this latest episode uh a few of them we've heard before in different places the track that he's singing in portuguese that was the thing that his old guitar teacher jeff had online and you could find i think it's called take sarajeva something like that so i'd heard that but of course, the credits on that are always questionable. That that's kind of been addressed in some of my rants of: is there a disco band that he had, or you know, is this his live band and then this is his pickup band where you have to play disco covers? So that one, I'm pretty sure, is from the early 2000s, like an 03, 04 thing. The ain't that peculiar? I believe that's a late 90s band. That could be Bart Walsh on guitar. Cool version, nevertheless. Good yes. to hear. Good to hear it in there. Um, and I, if I do remember correctly, and I can't remember which song it was now, but the the after the theme song, the episode started with with a ZZ Top track, or at least a music bed. It sounded like they grabbed it from a uh, from a karaoke uh, version because there was some different lyrics on the top of that. Yeah, yeah. So you know, normally we should be rejoicing, going. This is amazing. These are a bunch of rare or unreleased Dave songs that we're hearing. This is great. This is all we've been clamoring for. But he doesn't put out any details to clarify what they are, who's playing them, on them rather, when it's from, etc. And that's the kind of stuff that drives me nuts. Because if he wants to keep up the mystique, don't put it out. Otherwise, he has these diehard fans who are super curious. Who are these people? Not to be like Seinfeld. You know, well, that brings up a couple of pet peeves besides which everybody is more than familiar with if you're a regular listener to this. Yeah. But um, among the uh, um, among the the attempts to stay focused, what a couple of things that have driven me a couple of things that have that have been a pet peeve is, well, first off, I think it was in episode seven or was it episode eight? I can't remember which one, but he started talking about retiring more times in Rocky and kind of alluded to what happened to the Vegas shows. But then I kind of lost the plot from there. And I thought, was is an announcement coming? Is something coming on about forthcoming shows? What is he hinting at here? What am I? What are the tea leaves? Where are the lines I'm reading in between here? You know what I'm saying? I totally know what you're saying. He, I, in doing some research for the book, I found this 1997 or 1998 interview that he did for Slaughterhouse, which was sort of his website fan club in the late 90s. But right. He got in the lawsuit before that all kind of disappeared. But the Wayback Machine led me to find that. And he was literally talking about retiring in 97, 98. So, huh. so that's going on. And that Little Ain't Enough video little tag thing at the end has him retiring <laughs> well and, that yeah <laughs> so i just wonder if that's just a conversational topic that he's always kind of felt comfortable with or felt like it was a good crutch and we just all took it way too seriously because we were giving in the benefit of the doubt i get that 
I get that. Another pet peeve is, I forgot which episode it was, but he went into the Van Halen covers at Henson Studio. I know he was talking about. And I was reminded of the fact that he's talked about these songs in, a, wait a minute, I'm trying to think, did two weeks ago, did another song drop? Yes. That's it right. Unchained, I believe. That's right. That's right. So more from those sessions. Actually, I don't mind any of these. I don't listen to them regularly. I'm more, when I do listen to them, I listen to them more to see just what sort of liberties, what sort of different changes there are. Usually there's something interesting at the end. Yeah. I mean, certainly I'm not, we're all tired of quibbling over the drum sound of these songs, Yes, you know, and I don't know, I don't know enough about producing or engineering to pretend to say what this needs, what this, or what it doesn't have or whatever sound wise. I just know it doesn't sound big and thick to me. Like, oh. like any other professional recording would mastered mixing, whatever. But what here's the thing that really makes no sense to me. You know what? The, every time he talks about these songs, you know what the biggest thing that's missing that I can't excuse? Eddie? Well, no. I mean, as far as he has not once named or mentioned the guys playing on the songs. He They put them in the credits of YouTube, I believe. That's, but, but not on the podcast. Yes. Say, man, I got, the, you know, this great guy, Al Estrada on guitar and Ryan on bass. You know what I'm saying? It's give us a little insight, man. Those guys would certainly love it. I agree that they would. Now, I, I'm super confused, and for lack of a better term, about these Van Halen re-records, because the initial narrative was we tracked 15 of them in two hours at the studio. Remember that? In May 2022, we tracked 15 songs in the studio. Right. Then one of these podcasts, he said, we do three vocal takes, and then the engineer kind of puts them together. And then you go, wait, if each song is three to five minutes, you do the three times 15. To, you're like, OK, no, the math on that. No, that's that's not. No correct. one said there'd be math involved. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then I'm listening to this Unchained one and it does not sound like a live vocal. It sounds. And it, like you, I'm not a professional engineer or recording person, but I don't think it's live. I think it's. Not necessarily auto-tuned, but I think it's vocal edited. And I'm not saying that because, oh, he has to be as good as he was in 78. I'm saying that because why are you saying it's live in the studio when it's not? I just think so much of this stuff, it, stream of consciousness overrides accuracy. Yeah, it, okay, it bothers me. I'm not an exaggerator for the most part. I don't like exaggerations. I like either the truth or being so over the top that it's a character that you can tell it's satire. But you're also a journalist. You deal with this stuff all the time, you know? So <laughs> that muscle is, is in fantastic shape, right? I mean, you, you, you could smell it and you could smell it uh, coming a mile away. Sadly. Yeah. So if instead of him saying we did it in two hours, if he said we tracked it in 12 hours, like the Beatles did their first album or, 16 hours like the Ramones did their first album, I would have no issue with this. But when you try and do that and you say the DLR band album was made in 10 days, but there was three or four different guitarists. No, it wasn't. So going back to what you were saying, I think he should talk about these musicians because he's been around them for hundreds to thousands of hours, even if he wasn't, you know, traveling with them. 
Right. I mean, they've certainly. I mean, for all for all intents and purposes, I mean, they are they have been the band going gone close to four years now. Yeah. So what do we know about Alistrada? Okay, he got him from a Van Halen tribute band, and we don't know anything about Alistrada. <laughs> and he's supposed to be this guitar great, which I think he is. But something that somebody told me, which is amazing, if this is true is that it's Alistrada singing the Michael Anthony high parts. Uh, you, while, told me that, you told while, me that before, yeah. Yeah, while playing the, the guitar. You know, while playing these leads without a second guitarist, because prior incarnations of the soul band have had two guitars. So while he's doing the hardest vocal part, while doing the hardest instrumental part, arguably, you should be celebrating that guy. You okay. should be talking him up. The guy's the MVP, come on. Exactly. And then Ryan Wheeler's been the the MD, the musical director, the longest tenured one of them all. There's a bunch of artists that he's been touring with, writing with, producing for. He scored a movie recently. You know, it's not like these guys are just sitting around going, hey, when's Dave going to call? And the drummer, Francis, he's in the Matthew Curry band who have been touring on and off. He was in bands before this. He opened up on a Kid Rock tour. You know, these are legit, legit guys. Right. I'm just thinking back, and we've brought this up a couple times. I know I've mentioned it, but I'm hard-pressed to remember the last time Dave celebrated any band members. Oh. Um, in in yeah, inter- Interviews, you know, album interviews or tour interviews, right? I mean. Yeah. Do I remember some mentions of Ray Luzier? Probably. I mean. Yeah, you know what? I do think he said his name a lot. He did talk up Brian Young a lot, but... Now we're talking 20 years ago. Oh, now that you pointed out, yeah, you're, we're talking almost 20. Wow. Right? Which brings up a good episode topic I've been toying with for a long time, is that the dream artist we'd like to see Dave work with. Because since the jump, well, he's he has at his disposal, I'm sure, just by reputation and the fact that people genuinely do love and have impacted that have been impacted and influenced by what he what he's done the guy can you know write down a list of 10 or 12 different guitar players and about 11 of them would jump at the chance well <laughs> right to write to write with you know after steve i mean it's it's always kind of the obvious maybe it be it's so obvious it makes no sense in dave's world but to like I mean, from a commercial standpoint, to all of a sudden in 2000, you know, in in 2000, in 1999, to just call up Stevie Vai and go, Stevie, let's write a couple songs. Come on, right? Yeah, well, I think we talked about this off air, the Jeff Young news story that came out about Roth. No. Jeff Young from Megadeth was doing some interview where I guess they threw in a Roth uh, related question. And he goes, yeah, I was managed by Diamond Dave Management in the early 90s. And they asked me for audition to audition. I said no. And good thing I didn't because I learned up. I learned what a whack job he was. And ooh, that would have been a bad fit. So that was one I never heard before. Now, I heard on a podcast, I think Chuck Shoots podcast, Six months ago, Blue Saracino told the story about being asked to audition for that band. Then um, Brad, who wrote that book about 
uh, Brad Talinsky, guitar right. editor, guitar world. Yeah. he said that Dave had called him in the early 90s and he recommended Eric Gales. And I'm not sure if Eric Gales ever did the audio. Oh, man. See, this is what I'm talking about. There's guitar players like that. Uh, Stevie Salas, who I absolutely love, who brings the funk and the soul and can sing and has written for tons of people and has been musical director for tons of people. Uh, hell, Richie Kotzen, let's say. Steve Stevens. I mean... Well, Steve Stevens, wasn't he asked to be in the band before Steve Vai? And he couldn't do it because there was a Billy Idol world tour end or recording thing but steve stevens lent vi some of his gear for eat and smile that sounds vaguely familiar yeah well, but do you know what i'm, I'm saying you... is dave knows who all the players are he's right. known who all the players are so <laughs> it's not a question of does he have an ear of who is a good, good guitar player no no that's what i'm saying is the question is the the biggest question is why not what, why not give credit to the people? No, no, no. Well, there's that. But I'm saying why we're going down this road a little bit here. Why hasn't, why wouldn't he collaborate more with other guitar players? I mean, do you get what I'm saying? I mean, is it just some, probably maybe he's just not interested in doing that. And I mean, I don't think, I wonder if he's, if him with anybody have written any new rock songs, man, I don't in how many years? Since the John Five stuff, which, yeah. which was arguably written for a Van Halen album and turned down by Van Halen and then recorded by him. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> just dropped that nugget there. Jesus, where'd oh, that I, come from? I thought we've talked about that. That I found this new USA Today article from 2010 where he was talking about how he wanted to make another Van Halen album and he presented the songs to the Van Halens and they turned him down. So he was going to make it those songs. Yes, and he so he was going to turn it into a jukebox musical because he saw Book of Mormon. And they were able to do. The, I don't. I lost the train of thought. But look up a Roth interview from the Japan era, to I, 2010, something like that. And I, then somehow it changed to no, this is my album. I know you can mess around with credits and stuff, but I'm hard pressed to believe that he can present songs that he co-wrote with John Five to Van Halen, re-record them, and then what is it? It's all four plus John five in the writing credits. I can't imagine that ever happening. I can uh, look at the song. I'll wait from 1984. That's got five. Writers. Okay. But a whole album though. I mean, that's yeah. right. That's kind of an anomaly. Think of it. I don't think that Roth is super concerned about the writing credits uh, based on after skyscraper. A lot of a lot of songs had outside writers um, when we interviewed. Oh, absolutely. Oh. They did. I'm just saying in the Van Halen world, that was I don't think that would happen for a whole album for Lord. You know, everything from financial to artistic reasons. Right. I mean, hmm. this. you know, they cut they cut Michael Anthony out of publishing royalties. You think they were going to they would add a they would add a fifth per, uh, fifth person. I do. And the reason why I do is. I'm now thinking of the timeline. We've never quite figured out when the timeline was that Michael Anthony was asked to sign away his 1984 royalties. I think, and I have nothing to base this on, I'm thinking that this was 2004 
when he did the reunion tour with Sammy. And when Michael Anthony was saying, yes, I signed away my my rights to the Van Halen name. I signed away everything to do this tour just because I wanted to. That's what I'm thinking it was. Hmm. So many little nuggets of gold there. So many different things to dig out. Hey, I'm I'm speculating, but what other period of time did the Van Halens outwardly resent Michael Anthony beyond uh, 2002 after he did the Sammy uh, Sam and Dave tour cameos? That's kind of the beginning of the end. But hey, getting back to what we were saying, I think that you're right that Dave has not been writing with guitar players. There's always a chance that he did in Japan because what's the the acapella group that he collaborated with and we see video of that in Roth show was that oh, or something? Um what was it? It was um man, I know I'm facing on the name. It was oh I can't man. Yes, it was I can't remember now. I was I you know it's funny that popped up that video popped up on my YouTube feed and I can't remember it was the acapella ver yeah, that where they were backstage in some dressing room or something, right? Somewhere. Yeah. I was I keep saying I keep thinking take six, but it's not them. <laughs> I, I what's it called after eight? Something there was a number involved, I think. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, what I'm getting at is I just don't think that Dave listens to rock music, and that is exemplified in the when he was talking about the Sirius XM stations that he loves, he loves Out, uh, Outlaw Country. He loves the Rock the Bells channel. So therefore, I don't think he cares about guitars. And there's a story of John Five from 2012 or so that somebody was hanging out with him backstage at a Rob Zombie show and asking him about the Dave album. And he was telling Dave stories and how it was great and all that. And they said, is it heavy? And John said, Dave hates heavy. And he wasn't kidding. So, yeah, and we know, I mean, he, he, I mean, he said a couple of years ago, he only listens to dance music and he went down the EDM route. Naturally seven, that group was called, by the way. Okay, so I first said, take, <laughs> I said, six. take six. You said, said eight, after eight, after eight, naturally seven. Well, of course. <laughs> Cause seven, eight, nine. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, you know, broken record here, but he's probably not listening to rock music in guitarist that way. Now he did cover Chris Stone, Kingfish Ingram. When I saw him in Vegas in early 2020, he covered that, uh, at a jam song, fresh at a jam, but that's blues. That's not right. rock. Right. Hey, speaking of, I remember the other song that I was surprised to hear in episode eight of the Ross show. And that was don't piss me off. Which yes. was a track left over from, not sure which sessions, but showed up on the Roth Greatest Hits. Yes. Which came out after Your Filthy Little Mouth. I believe that's a leftover from... Uh, from A Little your, Ain't Enough? From I, Your Filthy I, Little Mouth. Because yeah, I, I meant to check the credits. He, it was a Monty Brown track. Yeah, it's a cover, Monty right? Bynum, rather. A who? Monty Bynum. He right. wrote a... I forget what other Roth song he co-wrote, but it was a leftover. And we were supposed to have him on the show. We, but uh, he didn't dial in. But maybe we can get to the bottom of that one. But that isn't that song out of print. Like you can't get the best of David Lee Roth thing that it's from on Spotify. That's not on Spotify. <laughs> Jeez, come on. You're actually. 
I was looking at his page on Spotify the other day. That's not on there. Yeah, that's track one on the 1997 Rhino Records Best Of. Right. That's like 1918. It's, it's a nice, it's a it's a pretty cool Best Of. I could quibble, yes. but it is pretty damn good. Oh, pardon, pardon the pun. <laughs> it is an excellent Best Of. Dave is a Best Of artist. He, I, I don't love the deep cuts for him like I do a lot of other artists. But it's an excellent best of that's track one. And so I haven't heard that song in years because where are you going to hear it other than going on someone's YouTube bootleg? Now, speaking of Spotify Mm -hmm. and Dave's uh, odd release strategy, where things end up where I was surprised to see. I was not surprised. Well, I was surprised to see Ain't That Peculiar pop up in the in the episode, then show up on YouTube. And lo and behold, it's out there on the platforms. It's on Spotify. Oh, I didn't notice that. The latest release single, Broth Lives. And it's got a photo that looks like it could have been from the Diamond Dave covers album era, baseball hat, glasses. I'm not even sure what era this was, but it, who knows? It could be new. I'm not even sure. But it's, you know, there is a, there is a picture of Dave on the cover. It Okay. Is it a cool cover? Sure. But it all falls into the category of who is this for? Because the people who love Eat em and Smile, this is not for them. The people like classic Van Halen, this is not for them. This is, it's questionably even for the diehards. It's not for the Motown crowd. Look, it's all a crazy release strategy. We haven't had a just track from John 5 since last year, since the John 5 sessions, when it was nothing could have stopped us back then. I don't think so. Anyhow, anyway, whatever. Right. I'm adding words. It's actually called nothing could have stopped us back then anyway. And I've said before, I genuinely love each of those songs of John 5. They're different. They're cool. They're they're personal. You, it's just the hype, for lack of a better word the excitement that I think John five created because he was the only one who's ever talked about it basically for the most part rang rang true for me for those songs. And then after that, it's ain't talking about love dance the night away, Panama. You really got me. Everybody wants some unchained just two weeks ago, all from the Van Halen's the Van Halen cover version sessions and whatever you want to call it. Henson studios in May. And then boom, out of nowhere, ain't that peculiar. And, and I'm still waving the flag for thank you very much, our friend at the Mojo Dojo, for yes. putting out for putting out their shine a uh, shine a little light from uh, the ELO cover from No Holds Barbecued, which is an amazing version. Go back, go and listen to it right now. Find it YouTube, Raw Show. Sorry, yeah. I got it. <laughs> so every time one of these new things come out, we all we the fans kind of have to crowdsource what we can figure out. So this happens. A new thing drops and I go to my insider or two and I go, what do you know? Then I go to Ramses and I go, what do you know? AK Ramses is the Mojo Dojo. Great dude. And I haven't texted him in a while. And then some of our listeners check it and go, what do you know? And I go, here's what I know. And then they piece it together. And Van Halen News Desk will post something. And then the Dave and Dave Unchained people might put something out there. And we all sit there going. We have no idea what happened or what's happening. And all Dave needs to do is put out a three-sentence press release when he's putting out these tracks and go, hey, Dave here, this is my new single. It features blank and blank and blank. Enjoy. 
That's it. all he has to do. Darren, it doesn't even have to be a press release. It could be the first minute and a half bantering with Tom at the top of a Roth show episode. Hey, Tom, you know what I just did? I put out this and chat about it. Well, the three-second press release, or three-sentence, rather, press release, I'm saying is because he possibly is a publicist on retainer that he's actually paying. <laughs> like, use the things that you're paying for. You have a manager. Okay, Dave, what does your manager actually do? I know who the manager is. Your manager is an accountant. Your manager is not a social media person. She's not a video editor. She's not an audio engineer. She not a marketing person so i don't know what your manager is doing and you're actually hiring the social media people the engineer etc so couldn't one of those people he goes here's an extra 75 bucks a week just respond to the fans you know i was reminded here as i was flipping through, around through david davidleroth.com which the homepage is the covered ain't that peculiar yes. you gotta click on it bam covers the whole thing but i forgot a song that came out a couple weeks ago which is which was only on YouTube, and that is Mustang Sally. Oh, yeah, which, which came. Do we take credit for that one, too? Oh, I, 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 it's, I hate to be, have too much hubris on all this stuff, you know? Okay, Mark Elmer, he can take all the credit he wants. <laughs> we didn't know that that existed until the No Holds Barbecue episode, where he said that he had edited that track, but he didn't remember it being in the video, and he never saw it again. That's right. But again, he's not saying codfish in these episodes. So we that's that would be the one tell if if Dave just says codfish once, we'll back off. We'll we'll go, you don't have to give us anything. We know that you know, you know that we know. We're good. Just codfish once. Yeah, that's it. Tom, what's your favorite cut of sushi? Oh, Dave, it's codfish. Ding ding ding. Yeah. That's what that's what we we that's couldn't it. text each other fast enough. Did you hear that? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I come away from all this going, there's great stuff in the archive, but I, if I don't concretely know who played on it, when it's from, et cetera, I lose a lot of interest in it. Because uh, I'm not one of these people that just, just goes, it has a nice beat. I'm not one of those music fans. I'm the person who dives in and wants to know everything. Yeah. I mean, for, listen, for all the complaining we do, I guess you can call it a complaint, for all the critiques we bring on this. I love the mystery of this. You know, you peruse his website a little bit and you go, oh my God, I forgot. There was a whole period of time where he was released. There was nothing but artwork going up there all the time. Then there was that that five chapter, 20 panel comic of yeah. something that happened in Pasadena or whatever, going <laughs> back in time. Then you have the graphic novel thing. You know, I mean, there's just all these side roads and weird things going on. And... But is it ever given the people what everybody wants? Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Are we it, we're out? getting whatever Dave wants, and that's that's the nature of a true artist. New theory. This is all part of a scavenger hunt. <laughs> you no, know, dude, you read my mind. I was thinking that. I'm like, the, I, the words Pokemon Go popped into my head <laughs> about 10 minutes ago. I kid you not. <laughs> yeah, the, if you take the seventh word of this song and the fourth word of this song, it's going to say where he is on this date and the numbers from the, all this came to mind. Did you watch a show Atlanta on FX? Dude, that is one of my favorite shows. It is the most twisted surreal thing. Yeah. I have. Yes. I just finished the last season about a month ago. Just 
I'm, I'm either laughing so hard or I'm so perplexed. Yeah. I would sit back and go, I don't know what the fuck that was about, but it is sheer brilliance. The episode without giving too much away about the rapper who died, but let everyone on the scavenger hunt as part of his funeral. Right. It was just genius. Yes. <laughs> I, I mean, that reminded me a little bit of how MF Doom died and no one knew he died for a couple of months. Do you, do you remember I that? Vaguely, I vaguely remember that. No one knew he died. I, and by that, I say that I put an interview request into his management team and they said, we'll speak to him and let you know. And at that point, he'd already been dead and they didn't tell me. <laughs> I mean, that's how weird it was with MF Doom dying. And I, I wonder, because Dave has such a knowledge of subcultures, which don't let me forget that part of it. He has such a, a knowledge of subcultures. You don't know if he's borrowing ideas from other things that he saw in old movies or TV shows because he is a fanatical reader. You know, one thing he mentions in the podcast is when you reread Huck Finn every 10 years, I couldn't get through it once. <laughs> Rereading Huck Finn every 10 years, he's a reader, all right. To say he's a voracious, voracious reader is an understatement. Okay, now the cultures part, though. Yes. Were you bugged at all when he's talking about going to the hood and he's clearly talking about, you know, 1975 and you got to go, Dave, just because you were in the hood 50 years ago, things have changed a little bit. But he's tying that in with it's what Bad Bunny is talking about. It's and you're like, what? <laughs> now, I know who Bad Bunny is, and he played Yankee Stadium, and he wrestled in WWE. I know the rappers. I know who they are. I interview rappers. But I just don't sincerely believe that he's listening to rap. Yes, he dances to Kendrick Lamar. But I think that he's just trying to d diversify himself a little too much. I think it could have. I think it could have been the result of, say... I don't know, a, a binge on the Rock the Bells channel or whatever on Sirius XM, <laughs> you know, I mean. So so let me ask, do you think he's taking notes? Now, I know you don't want to take notes while you're listening to podcasts, but he's taking notes while he listens to the radio. That's a good question. I don't think so. I was wondering, though, I wonder I wondered when I was listening to the new episode. I know I've wondered this more than once. I mean, is there even just like a piece of paper with some bullet points written down? When he's doing the podcast, is it just complete? I mean, it clearly it's edited, you know, because all of a sudden it's like Roth show. Hey, Tom. And then it's on to the next thing or whatever. So I just wonder what's on the cutting room floor or how they or who's piecing this together or. OK, I, I mean, is, do you I, understand I, what I'm saying? I've got answers here. Is there is there a I don't want to say a script. Is there some sort of no. improvisational outline? There isn't. Uh, here's what I'm basing that on. When I interviewed the people who did the Tokyo Story short film. Which right. The reason I never used it for this show is I never got the emails back saying, fine. <laughs> <laughs> but, but what they told me was one of the people met with Dave in a restaurant or an izakaya bar, something like that. And he said, here's my whole, whole idea for it. And they basically went, okay, you'll send me the script. He goes, there is no script. You're writing this down, right? So in other words, he talked the idea at them. And there was never a script. 
on that whole thing. Now, we do know that Crazy from the Heat, the film, had a script, but I don't think he wrote the script. I think he spouted a bunch of ideas and maybe edited some stuff, but I don't think he writes stuff down for such a voracious reader. I think, well, one, I think he's got an amazing memory. I just figure a lot of it might be kind of like a curb your enthusiasm, right? I mean, it's like we've got a general idea. This is where and now go. We're off to the races. But, but we also know the Crazy from the Heat book, he didn't write that either that was spoken into tapes well you could say he created it he's a creator <laughs> well he cre he spoke it into tapes and henry rollins and i forget the name of the editor he was a rolling stone guy basically had to listen to the tapes and turn it into a book oh that's another thing i'm sorry steve this is this is nerdy <laughs> I, yeah i had to qualify for that one being nerdy okay i noticed the Dave TV things in this. Did you know? Yes, that's right. That's from the late 90s webcasts. That's wow. Yeah. So you think about this, you take a step back and you go, this new episode, he opened up the archives to listen to, to show a bunch of things from the 90s, most likely. He used his webcast stuff from the 90s. And a lot of these stories are things that happened in the 70s and 80s. I still go, Dave, didn't you do interesting things between 1987 and 2003? Nothing interesting happened ever? You did put out some records. <laughs> you didn't tour the world over and over and over again and record stuff? Like, what? what's with this embargo between 1987 <laughs> and 19... What what year is it realistically he stops talking about stuff? Is it 03? 07? Yeah. I, right, yeah, I'd say right around there. I mean, it's interesting because there's when he talks about Van Halen, it's always about, it's never about the reunion. It's never about how they conquered the world and one of the greatest comebacks of all time. And they delivered a fantastic record and maybe give a few props to Wolfie there for having a gigantic hand and bringing that all, all to fruition. Right. And yeah. how everybody was getting along. Great. It's all about Van Halen back in the early, early days where we did 85 songs, really, a night. <laughs> and, you know, the block and we we rehearsed and rehearsed and did this and this and my Opal and, you know, uh, Mother Ed, Edward's mom. And yeah, I'm totally picking up what you're putting down. Yeah. So he's only talking about the first six albums, essentially. <laughs> Oh, that's what most Van Halen fans are all about. Is that what most Dave fans care about, maybe? I don't know. I mean, we started this podcast to wave the flag for the guy himself and and uh, ostensibly his solo music. And, you know, we've paid attention to this stuff, but and we do have a, a, a growing listenership. But, you know, how many people kind of stop listening, stop listening and the record sales show this after, oh, I don't know, Skyscraper? Nonetheless, nothing is ever said about Skyscraper. I know, exactly. Or Eatem and Smile. And then also... Or any, any of the solo stuff. If you notice when he's talking about people from the Van Halen crew, he mentions Big Ed, who managed him into the late 90s in different capacities. Maybe you hear about Rudy every now and then, but he doesn't talk about the other people in the crew. And there was a lot of other people in that crew. It's not like it was a four-person skeleton crew on Dive. No, that was a big crew, man. They were yeah. like a gang out there. 
Yeah, so there's no talk about them. There's no talk about Don Landy or Ted Templeman. So Yeah. Wow. So what I'm getting at is there's so much meat on the bone for what Dave can talk about on this show. This is the positive construction, uh, constructive thing. If somebody from Camp Dave, Team Dave, is listening to this, you go, okay, so Dave, you haven't talked about anything from 1986 to 2007, just about. You haven't talked about half the Van Halen crew, your producer, your engineer, <laughs> none of this. You never did a eulogy or anything for Brett Tuggle after he passed away. Your mother passed away, and that totally was not in the news, and we'd love to learn about her. You never really talked about your sisters and all the things that they contributed to your career. There's so much meat on the bone that we don't have to listen to voodoo and Haiti and softballs and uh, uh, falling over in a canoe. You could talk about the best stuff ever without embarrassing anyone, and we'd all love it. Absolutely. But I don't think a person, there's a person or person in that capacity that exists to do that. Everything that happens creatively is Dave's alone. Yeah. So, you know, that's where the bummer lies, because most artists would kill to have the leftover stuff. Motley Crue has given you everything at this point, because every member did an, a memoir except Mick Mars. Plus, they did the band memoir. Plus, they've gone and put out the demos from all the albums. Plus, right. on the live soundboards. Dave has not only left, I think, three finished fully done live shows unreleased from over the years, maybe four. <laughs> the second chat, the second edition of his memoir never came out beyond like the thing that Frank Meyer said that they'd basically sold to a publisher. There's so much there that even if he did it twice a week and did it for 20 minutes, he has three years of amazing stuff that he could then digitize into a book. Oh, I still maintain he could have had two of the biggest home video releases just with the Eat em and Smile concert and the Skyscraper concert. I mean, for sure. Look what the numbers Van Halen did with Live Without a Net. I'm surprised. I'm really surprised given how those first couple of years kind of there was kind of a simultaneous track there. Do you know what I'm saying? It was there yeah. was a kind of a, an unspoken. Everybody else spoke about a competition as far as the records and the, the just the schedules. And I mean, Dave was clearly following a pattern in the skyscraper where it was like, OK, I need a real commercial track here. So, I mean, I'm surprised that that an amazingly shot, professionally shot home video release with some cool backstage stuff. We've talked about this stuff before. Yeah. With just the, the goofing around and seeing the set being built, your typical live concert home video release on VHS with a very colorful sleeve and you can rent it at Blockbuster if you like or whatever. <laughs> I, you know, I mean, Kiss did them. The how, yeah. Come on. All that stuff was concert videos and VHS and then DVDs into the, you know, 90s, early 2000s for YouTube. Uh, you know, everybody, all the hard rock bands did something. Exactly. Did you ever see the video on YouTube that Ram says the Mojo Dojo has on his channel where he basically edited all the 88 skyscraper lives. Yes. I mean, hey, Dave, hire Ramses. He'll he'll do it for whatever your budget is. Go oh my goodness. Skyscraper, the, the the boxing ring and the guys doing the steel drums? Come on. Uh, the 
the one of the things that nobody talks about is when he does the title track from Skyscraper and comes down from the ceiling in front of the mountain, like he scales down. Dude, my mouth dropped at the Hartford <laughs> Civic Center when I saw that. Yeah, it's it's great. And the Little Ain't Enough tour also had some stunts and things to it. The part where the women's the woman's legs open up over the drum riser. It had stuff, too. And there's zero pulse of any of that online. It's just bootlegs that you can watch. And I'd have to guess that they filmed it. If you have that big of a crew in an arena, I'm sure, uh, I'm sure for insurance reasons, you're recording it on a camera to make sure nothing goes wrong. There's a lot of money left on the table. Yes. Yeah, so, a lot you know, of possibilities and opportunities there left on the table. And then it's a left turn into ink the original or something. I don't know. So what other news do we have? <laughs> uh, well, look at the bride said you got a Marvin Gaye cover. <laughs> that, that's what you wanted, right? There's always a, there's always a bright side. There's always a bright side. I mean, the the other thing is, like, if if we could be self-promotional for a second. Absolutely. So, so with the book that I've been writing on David Lee Roth, which we're waiting to find out if it's a late 2023 or an early 2024, I had the genius idea, quote unquote, that Dave's not going to participate. And Sammy's team keeps sending me press releases every other day on his drinks. Why don't I ask if Sammy would like to... Uh, be branded into partnering as the alcohol presenter for book release parties. And at first his booze company handler goes, Oh, that sounds very interesting. Send us more details. So I sent an outline and then Sammy's next in line publicist basically wrote back and went, that is not a good idea. No. <laughs> so I, I tried. Well, let's talk about this book. Do you, how David Lee Roth changed the world. Coming right now, we're seeing uh, it's showing January of 2024. That's the rumor right now. I, I don't have any solidified thing that that I can announce. The Amazon and Barnes and Newables pages, which will take the pre-order, those uh, do say January 2024, and I don't have confirmation yet. But I do know who wrote the forward, and I do know who took the photos. I have not read the manuscript to see if they the words resemble mine. I'm thinking they do. But uh, yeah, well, we, we can't say it's up there now available to pre-order now at Amazon. We'll, we'll keep the link in the show notes for every episode. Uh, the cover art isn't up there yet, but I trust it's going to look really cool. But just from what you've told me about it and from what just the description at Amazon says alone, dude, if I didn't know you, I'm not saying this just to suck up. I would be pre-ordering this thing in a heartbeat. Not that oh. I'm assuming you're going to give me a free copy, but what I'm saying is a fan was what I'm saying is a fan. This book sounds really cool. And, and you know what? It, one of the things that really stood out to me is it says uh, DLR, uh, this book, DLR book is not simply the first book about Roth to be published in several decades. It's a front row seat to one of the wildest and most unpredictable artists of all time. Yeah, it is one of the first book in several decades. It's oh. eye opening. That's very cool. Oh, I need to weigh in on that. So Colin Flynn, who I mentioned before, who listened to our podcast and gave us the notes about Howard Stern, he hipped me to a book that was written about Dave in 1986. It's called something like David Lee Roth, What a Guy. <laughs> and you sent I, me that what? <laughs> that was the bizarrest thing. I certainly never heard of it. Colin said he bought a copy of it at a garage sale for pennies. 
but it looks like it's selling for 150 bucks or so on eBay. I'm wondering if anyone who listens to the show has heard about David Lee Roth. What a guy. I can tell you, I, I never heard of it. And when did it come out in the eighties? 86. The I mean, it, did a Michael J. Fox book and a Dirty Dancing book around that same era. So I don't know if it's a teen beat kind of book, but David Lee Roth, what a guy. It didn't look familiar. I had never heard of it. And at that point in time, my radar was up. Well, this is pre-internet, obviously. I like to think I, I kept my ear to the ground trying to find out anything and everything about David. Certainly was never mentioned in uh, any any rock magazine that I know of. Yes. Uh, I mean, if if I oh, uh, here I found it. it's by Mimi Casbah with a K. The official book title is David Lee Roth. What a guy. But it has the subtitle of the wit, the wisdom, the face and the body of David Lee Roth. What a guy. <laughs> uh, um, uh, what a what a title. Uh, Steve, if, if I get to do a follow up book, it'll be called Steve Roth. What a guy. <laughs> The wit, the wisdom, the face, and the body of Steve Roth. Uh, so let's see. Do we miss any other news? I mean, nothing about the tribute or reunion stuff. Nothing about Van Halen reissues. Uh, no new rumors about Dave touring. Wolfgang is on the Metallica tour. Got a new album coming this year, I believe. Yeah, no rumors of Alex being cited anywhere. I haven't checked his wife's uh, Pinterest in a while, by the way. I don't know if they're putting up new horse barns. I still stand by. You'll never see Alex play live in public again. I wouldn't be surprised if he hasn't played the drums since the last Van Halen tour. His wife's Pinterest did have drums pin. Uh, what do you call those pins on Pinterest when you yeah. folder? Yeah, she had some pins for drum sets and AVH on there. So... Well, I would, I would bet Steve. Uh, oh, no, I shouldn't say that. Let's uh, let's end on a high note. Come on, let's stay focused. I, I would Dave bet would say. some <laughs> that he does play music at home uh, and one of his musician friends he does play with. But there's no proof. There's no evidence. I'll just okay. put it that way. We'll just leave it at that. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, I guess we just keep waiting to see what happens with Van Halen and Dave Lee Roth, but at least we're getting some new old stuff from Dave. At least it's stuff. Nothing but yeah. <laughs> Stay frosty, my friends. Roth Show, the DLR cast. <laughs> I can't top that, Steve. You win. What a guy. <laughs>